He wrote about, good, good. He wrote about 20, 20, 25 books or so. And uh, the books that I have listed on this handout, uh, The God Who Sits In, I mean, The God Who Is There, uh, Escape From Reason, and He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Um, those three books, you can now get them in, in a nice hardbound uh, book called uh, the Francis Schaeffer Trilogy, okay? So in just one book, you can get three, probably his three greatest philosophical um, works. Um, the handouts are, are more in-depth, but maybe this overhead might help a little bit uh, to give you a little overview of... Uh, Francis Schaeffer and what he was about. Um, with most uh, Christian thinkers, um, if you just examine their thought, uh, that would cover pretty much their whole ministry. Okay, That was not Schaeffer. Schaeffer was more than just a thinker. He was also a doer. Okay, um, He was very well read. Uh, he was brilliant, but he was also a guy who got down there in the trenches and, and, and did this thing called Christianity on a regular basis. His Labrie Fellowship, which basically means the shelter, um, his Labrie Fellowship in Switzerland was a place where intellectual dropouts from all over the world, but especially from Europe, where they could go, and it was, it was like the, your last stop uh, before suicide, if you were an intellectual and believe there is no God, there's no meaning to life, there's no morality, no right and wrong, there's no hope whatsoever, no right and wrong, and um, you just feel like giving up and committing suicide, a lot of people would say, look, before you do that, there's this little preacher by the Swiss Alps named Francis Schaeffer. Talk to him. And you go to visit Schaeffer, he would, uh, he would basically, you know, he'd give you a place to sleep. Sometimes they'd have five, six, seven, fifteen, twenty different people staying at his place. He would preach a couple times a week. He'd preach on Sunday in a little chapel. And, uh, and then he'd give a few lectures throughout the week. And, and then he'd go on hikes and just talk theology and philosophy with these people. And he'd break bread with them. They'd have fireside chats, really sitting down by a fireside, you know. Um, and um, he spoke the truth in love. And that's what we're commanded to do. So he, he wasn't just trying to win arguments, okay? He cared enough to listen to people. He cared enough to love people. He cared enough to feed them, okay? Uh, by the way, too, it wasn't even it wasn't like a place to go for handouts. They needed a lot of work over there. Uh, they didn't have a whole lot of money, so if you came over to visit him, you work alongside him, too. You know, you do the yard work with him and things of that sort. But through his Labrie Fellowship, it got to the point where some of the major secular magazines in America began to call Francis Schaeffer uh, the apostle to the intellectual dropouts. And intellectuals all over the world who were thinking of giving up on everything, all of a sudden they would say, wait a minute, maybe I ought to give Christianity one more try and talk to this, uh, this little guy 
uh, in Switzerland. Now he was he was actually raised in Philadelphia, um, so uh, he was actually an American guy, but he just felt led to go over Switzerland. Now one of the, that's one of the reasons why he's so important for us to study, is because he dealt with in, European intellectuals and their thoughts tended to be 20 to 40 years ahead of the rest of the Europeans. And, um, but the European intellectuals, they were about 20 to 40 years ahead of American intellectuals who were about 20 to 40 years ahead of the rest of Americans. In other words, the kind of intellectuals that Schaefer was ministering to in the 1960s and 1970s are the kind of lay people that we're going to be ministering to in the next five to ten years. In fact, uh, I, I think we're starting to see it now. Um, it, it's, well, I tell you, it's, I take debates on college campuses in defense of Christianity, in defense of God's existence. And uh, ten years ago, if you believed in the existence of any kind of a God, you would side with the Christian instead of siding with the atheist in one of those debates. Now when I debate, even just on community colleges, uh, it seems like um, even people who believe in some, the existence of some kind of God in America, if they're not Christians, they will end up siding with the atheist. I had to, when I debated God's existence at uh, Bellevue Community College, it seemed that the crowd was really upset with me because I was calling God a he, and I believed in absolute moral values. They viewed me as being intolerant because I, I made a statement. Can you, can you believe I was actually so bold to make a statement that I believe that rape and incest are wrong for all people at all times in all places? And they thought that that was being intolerant. Okay? So um, um, it is amazing how people's ideas are changing. And Schaefer was on the cutting edge because he was dealing um, with many of these European thinkers when these ideas were first coming out. And now these ideas have not only made it into the American universities and the American colleges, now they have made it into the American mainstream. And uh, I think we can learn a lot from Schaefer as we try uh, to deal with these people. Uh, one of the first things that uh, I'd like to talk about talk about here is uh, what Schaefer called the line of despair. The line of despair. It's kind of like um, there's a line and everything under that line is despair, okay? And how do you escape that despair? And, uh, and he was claiming that modern man had fallen below this line of despair, okay? Now, what Schaefer called modern man, by the way, um, has a lot in common with what philosophers call the postmodern man today, okay? Because what, what Schaefer called the modern man, he was talking about uh, existentialists, um, people, the thinkers who, who said, look, God doesn't exist, therefore there's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as meaning in life. Life is without meaning. Why don't I just kill myself? And then 
some of them, in order to escape that despair, would take a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm and just create meaning for their lives. Okay? Jean-Paul Sartre, French existentialist, and his, his friend Albert Camus, another French existentialist, were examples of this. Um, nowadays, even existentialism is going out the window, but we still see the same denial of absolute truth in postmodern circles. But now they're talk, they talk about a community. It's not an individual taking a leap of blind faith in the non-rational realm. Now it's an entire community. And that community doesn't have to be the people that you live near. Okay? You can be part of like some postmodern communities, the gay community, which is made up of homosexuals all over the country and all over the world. They gather around a narrative. See, the postmodernist says there is no such thing as truth. All we, all we have is are nothing but stories, okay? And, um, and, but whatever the case, if, when we run into these postmodern people, and they're all over the place on college campuses today, uh, the fact of the matter is they deny the existence of absolute truth, okay? And, uh, and it's really crazy, too, because, you know, I'll be talking with them. They'll say there is no, there is no absolute truth. And then I'll remind the people, well, if that statement is true, then it's an absolute truth. Otherwise, then it's just false. So, so whether it's, you know, if the statement is true, it, it refutes itself. It's a self-refuting statement. Therefore, there has to be absolute truth. And then there's some people who say, okay, maybe there's absolute truth, but man can't know it. But the statement, man can't know truth, if that statement is true, then man can know something. And that is that he can't know truth. So that self-refutes. So if there's only two things human beings know, or should know, if we were just logical thinkers, is one, absolute truth exists, and two, I can know it. Okay? But today we live in a day and age where people are denying the existence of absolute truth and man's ability to know it. And Schaefer dealt with these people long before we saw them on the American scene. So Schaefer argued that what he called modern man had abandoned the idea of absolute truth. He used an example of Hegel, uh, a philosopher who rejected the concept of antithesis. Antithesis meant that if a statement is true, then the contrary of that statement is by definition false. What Hegel did, Hegel came on the scene and said, look, you could have an idea that is true, and then a contrary idea that opposes it. And as time goes on, they can be synthesized and form a new truth. In fact, Hegel viewed human history as the unfolding of truth, okay? And uh, some people um, try to oversimplify his thought. Marx oversimplified his thought. Um, but whatever the case, it is clear that Hegel denied absolute, unchanging truth, something that is true for all people at all times and in all places, okay? And uh, now just think about what that does to Christianity. You tell your friend, Jesus is my Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. And your friend says, well, that's okay. That's true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me. See, once we water down absolute truth, then even the statement God exists is no more true than the statement God does not exist. Okay? And uh, now, originally, 
Atheists try to deny God's existence and hold on to truth. But as time went on, they realized what Friedrich Nietzsche, the German philosopher, had said, that if there is no God, then there is no truth. There's no right and wrong. And, uh, and so now we're living in a day and age where people who have rejected God are uh, reaching the same conclusion. Therefore, there is no absolute truth. Now, Kierkegaard, Danish uh, philosopher and theologian, um, he argued that this synthesis, this, this new truth, okay, could not be achieved through reason alone, uh, but instead a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm was needed. Now, Kierkegaard was a Christian existentialist. Uh, I'm not even sure if he, he was a true Christian. I would argue that he wasn't. Some Christian philosophers would argue that he was. Um, but whatever the case, uh, Kierkegaard argued that it's not important whether Jesus rose, literally rose from the dead or not. All that was important was that you really believed that he did with passion. Okay? Now, let me, let me say what was good about Kierkegaard. In his day and age, all Christianity, Christianity was redefined as just believing with your mind a creed, a set of beliefs. I believe in one God, the creator of heaven and earth, and in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and on and on. You just believe that in your head, and that makes you a Christian. It doesn't have to influence your life, whatever. And Kierkegaard said, that's not the way it is. And so Kierkegaard argued for the other extreme, that Christianity isn't head knowledge, it's just the passions of the heart subjective belief was more important than objective truth. Now, in actuality, Schaefer argued that Christianity is both propositional truth. Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. He is God incarnate. He did uh, rise from the dead. He will return, okay? Uh, he alone is Savior. There are propositional truths we need to accept with the mind, but then we also need to enter into that personal relationship with him. And so it's not either or. It's not the mind or the will. It's both the mind and the will. Okay? And that's what Schaefer argued for. Kierkegaard went too far in the other direction. And so it was kind of like Kierkegaard was saying, yeah, modern man has taken us to the point where there's nothing but despair, but we can't live there. Let's take a leap of blind faith into the non-rational realm, okay? Well, eventually, existentialists became non-Christian existentialists of the Jean-Paul Sartre and uh, Albert Camus type. Um, and, uh, and so you ended up with this modern existentialism, the idea that life is absurd and meaningless, and we must create meaning for ourselves. Um, you know, it's amazing. Sartre argued like this, no God, therefore no meaning in life. However, man desperately needs meaning in life. Let's actualize ourselves by creating meaning for our lives, even though there's no good reason to do it. You know, when I look at that, I say, well, wait a minute. If we so desperately need meaning in life, maybe there is a God. Maybe you ought to start heading back towards Christianity, not further away from it. Um, Sartre argued that it makes no difference whether you helped an elderly lady walk across the street or you mugged her and stole her purse. The only important thing was you actualized yourself. You gave meaning to your life. 
Now, that might be good for SART, but I don't think uh, the police officer or a judge and a jury would buy it. Um, but whatever the case, um, once you throw, you see, the existentialist, if God created us, then we come into life defined. We come into life with a definition, with a nature, with an essence. God defines the parameters of our life, okay? But if there is no God, then we come into life as a blank check, and we can make ourselves anything we want to be. And that's what Sartre was arguing for, okay? Now, um, what, uh, what was interesting was that Aldous uh, Huxley and Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary was a Harvard professor. He, he really liked Jean-Paul Sartre's existentialism, but he could not... He, he said, you know, but Jean-Paul, it's so hard to take that existential leap. And so Dr. Timothy Leary said, why don't we artificially induce it through LSD trips? This was back in the 1960s. And he became the guru for a whole generation of young people um, who were taking acid trips. I mean, the Beatles, I don't think they ever read Jean-Paul Sartre, but they read Timothy Leary. In fact, Art Linkletter, I don't know how many people, I'm probably dating myself here, but how many people remember him? He's a talk show host. His daughter read Timothy Leary's books, and on an, while taking an LSD trip, she jumped off the roof of a multi-story building to her death. And um, but the Beatles thought, hey, this is great. Let's take um, take this leap of blind faith through hallucinogenic drugs, and it changed an entire generation. Schaefer was real good at showing that how the philosophy of one generation will influence the art and the music, and eventually the general culture. And the sad thing is, theology is the last thing to be influenced. Instead of theology leading the way. The theologians are, are kind of just following wherever the world is going. And, uh, um, but, uh, but Schaefer had tremendous uh, insight into that with the line of despair. And so Schaefer realized that modern man, because he had thrown God out the window, had given up on truth, given up on meaning. And that modern man was left with either despair or a leap of blind faith into the irrational realm to escape that despair. Neither or situation. And so Schaefer, that was kind of his starting point in dealing with them, was recognizing um, right where they were. Um, okay, um, Schaefer also argued that, uh, this was along the lines of Blaise Pascal, um, that man, man's dilemma is that man is both noble and he is cruel. Um, you will see man doing noble things that the animal kingdom doesn't do. Um, you know, you go away on vacation, and even if your next-door neighbor is a non-believer, and especially if they're a Mormon, you go away on vacation without telling you they mow, they mow your lawn. You know? But human beings do that. We do noble things. We, we sometimes lay down our lives for others and save the lives of others and put our own lives at risk. 
but we also do cruel things. You know, the cruelty that human beings do to other human beings, you, you cannot find that even in the animal kingdom. Um, I remember, you know, reading, and it, this was several different times, several different kids uh, had uh, uh, poured gasoline on their elderly grandmother and set her on fire and watched her burn to death. Now we see kids going to uh, high schools and, 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 uh, and, and shooting several students. Um, um, I, I even read a uh, true account in a newspaper of a lady who put her little baby in the microwave and turned it on and then killed her baby. Um, and Schaefer says, you know, how do you explain this? And Schaefer argued that atheistic evolution could not explain it. No matter how hard they try, they try to make us animals know our nobility puts us in a totally different category than the animals. But also our cruelty puts us in a different category. When, it, when an animal kills another, viciously kills another animal, there's usually a good reason why the animal's doing it. You know, usually it's food, sometimes it's protection, um, but sometimes human beings just kill other human beings just because they felt like doing it. And, uh, and so Schaefer would argue that only Christianity offers an adequate explanation that man was created in God's image and therefore noble. But then we had fallen in the garden and therefore we are cruel. And the only way we can get away from this cruel, abnormal state is through salvation in Jesus Christ. Um, by the way, a lot of times when Schaefer dealt with people, uh, Schaefer's, uh, one of his professors was Cornelius Van Til, and Schaefer changed a lot of the thought of Van Til or his own Schaefer thought was, uh, uh, wasn't identical to Van Til's. He made some changes and all. But, uh, but he did accept what Van Til called borrowed capital. That you can deny the existence of the God of the Bible. You can deny the existence of the Christian God. You can deny that Christianity is true, but you still have to live in God's universe. Because, you know, there's no other universe out there. This, this isn't Monty Hall and let's make a deal and you get to pick the universe behind door one or behind door two or door three. There's only one universe. It's the real one. So you can deny the real God, but you still got to live in his universe. So it's kind of like, you know, we always talk about, you know, God is dead. Friedrich Nietzsche said God is dead, you know. And he wasn't really saying God was alive once and then he died. He was saying Christianity as the driving force of Western culture had died. But what Nietzsche's message was to his fellow atheists was that, look, you guys have taken God, you've taken Christianity and thrown it off a bridge. You've thrown God off the bridge to his death. But what Nietzsche told his colleagues was, and this is Nietzsche died in 1900, Nietzsche told his colleagues, what you guys failed to realize is before you threw God off the bridge, you went through his pockets. You borrowed some capital from the Christian God. So, we want to get rid of God, but we want, to, we want absolute moral values because we still want to call murder wrong because we don't want people murdering us. So let's take that. Oh, and we want absolute truth because we want to find scientific truths and philosophical truths. We even want it to be true that God doesn't exist. Oh, and of course, we want meaning in life. And what Nietzsche tried to warn his colleagues was that if you throw God off the bridge, Everything he's got goes with him. 
You throw God out, truth goes out the window. Morality goes out the window. Meaning goes out the window. And, uh, and Schaefer was real quick to point that out. No one can reject the God of the Bible and live consistently with the rejection of the God of the Bible. If you watch them long enough, you will find inconsistencies. They will say God doesn't exist, but then they will live like he does. This Friday I have a debate at Princeton University, and the gentleman I'm going to be debating, Elliot Ratzman, believes that there is no absolute rights or wrongs. Each culture determines what is right and what is wrong, yet he constantly goes to other cultures and protests on their soil. See, he can't live consistently with his view. He's living as if, even though he denies it verbally, he's living as if there are absolute, an absolute moral standard that is above all cultures. The fact of the matter is, uh, the fact of the matter is that there is. It is God's moral law. And he denies that, yet without even realizing it, uh, he lives like that is true. Um, uh, Schaefer argued for the, uh, the mannishness of man, that uh, uh, our personality and our ability to verbalize ideas places man above the animal kingdom. Schaefer argued that since we are created in God's image, God can communicate propositionally to us. All proposition means that God can communicate to us through statements. God wants to write a book, he can use human authors and write a book. Once you acknowledge the existence of a personal God, he has no problem uh, writing a book for us. Okay, um, uh, Schaefer argued that only a personal God could produce man. That if you deny a personal God, uh, then you must also deny the nobility of man or take a leap of blind faith in the non-rational realm and just pretend that man has nobility. And another way of saying this is there is no way to there is no way to have human rights in a world without God. The whole dignity of being human comes from the fact that we were created in God's image. So if you reject God, there's no basis for human rights or for human dignity. Um, and so Schaefer pointed, uh, pointed that out. Uh, to the question, what is the purpose of man, Schaefer said that modern man has no answer. Christianity, though, has the answer. It tells us that through Christ, our personal relationship with the personal God is restored, and our life takes on the meaning that God intended uh, for us to have. Um, Schaefer argued that moral values make no sense in a world without absolutes and that apart from Christian presuppositions or beliefs, uh, man fails to distinguish reality from unreality, man from animal, and right from wrong. Uh, Schaefer argued that finite, fallen man cannot find certain knowledge if he autonomously begins with himself, okay? Um, only in Scripture can finite man find certain, though not exhaustive knowledge. We don't know everything there is to know about everything, but we can know some truths because God has revealed them to us uh, in his word. 
Um, Schaefer argued that we have no final answers in regard to truth, morals, or epistemology, man's knowledge and how man, man's theory of knowledge and how he knows things without God's revelation in the Bible. And so Schaefer argues that only Christianity offers an adequate explanation of the universe and of man. And he argues that even the atheist uh, must live uh, in uh, God's universe. Um, now, let me talk just a little bit about Schaefer's method of apologetics. Schaefer's method of apologetics is what I would call verificational apologetics. In other words, Schaefer views Christianity as a hypothesis. Okay? It's kind of like he looks out over the world and he's standing next to an atheist and he says, okay, here's my worldview. It's called Christianity. Now let's test my worldview by the data that's out there and let's test your worldview and see which worldview has more plausibility, which is more reasonable, okay? And uh, so basically, he allows his Christian beliefs to be tested much like that of a scientific hypothesis, okay? Now, the test for truth that Schaefer had are, number one, um, a worldview must be non-contradictory, okay? so. So Schaefer wouldn't entertain ideas like there is no truth because that's a self-contradictory statement. So number one, it's got to be non-contradictory, um, but it also has to explain the phenomenon in question. Okay? Um, somebody could, could say, explain to me this TV. What's it all about? I've never seen a TV. What's this all about? I could say one plus one equals two. Okay, one plus one equals two is not contradictory. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't explain this TV. And so you can have a worldview that doesn't contradict itself, but if it doesn't explain human experience, what good is it? So not only does it have to be non-contradictory, but it also has to uh, explain uh, the phenomenon in question and then uh, finally, in Schaefer's test for truth, we must be able to live consistently with our theories. Livability. Um, and Schaefer would argue any non-Christian, somewhere along the line, they will not be able to live consistently with their worldview. Somewhere their, their, their actions will contradict their words, their beliefs. Uh, when Schaefer looks out at the world, he says the possible answers are this. And there's, there's four of them. One, that everything came from nothing. Schaefer says, this, this is absurd. He doesn't even give it a couple sentences in his works. Anybody who thinks everything pops into existence totally out of nothing, totally without a cause, that just does not make sense, okay? The sad thing is, what Schaefer didn't know is that some leading philosophers and scientists would actually entertain that possibility, that impossibility I should say um, but uh, whatever the case let me just I'll, I'll just